Welcome to the Be Still, Be Aware series, where nothing is off limits. I'm your host, Claire Ford. Let's talk. Hi, thanks for joining us for the Be Still, Be Aware series. This episode is a little different because I'm on the other side. I'm the one being interviewed this time. Um, So you'll be joined by me as the guest, Claire Ford, the founder and CEO of Still Aware. But I suppose it's a bit more than that. It's about my background and why it is that Still Aware came to be. It is hard hitting. I did not expect to be so teary, but hey, be prepared. I hope that you can understand all the things that I say through the blubbering mess that is about to occur. Um, But there is also some really um, top tips, I hope, and takeaways. And I hope that you gain something from this um, in a way that uh, is going to be protective in your pregnancy and going forward in, um, in life and your journey of grief, if that's who you are that is watching. So thanks for joining us and let's talk. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this series is recorded and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Hannah Ford, your temporary host for the Be Still, Be Aware series where nothing is off limits, so let's talk. Well, we've got Claire Ford here, my cousin and friend, and today we're turning the tables on you. You're usually the one asking the questions, mm-hmm. um, but you're also the reason why we're here today, and that's because of, of your story and because of your daughter, Alfie. Yeah. Um, let's start there. Tell us tell us your story with well, her. Well, thank you. This was very odd being on the other side. I'm not even <laughs> sure how to sit or what to do. Um, but look, I think um, it's only apt to sort of say that still aware didn't you know just start out of nowhere um i had a fabulously blissful pregnancy and after you know years of trying and through ivf uh, my husband and i fell pregnant with our firstborn and look we really thought the ivf journey would be our hardship um i was very quiet about that i didn't tell anybody i was doing ivf i don't know why i sort of felt like um, I suppose that's the first time I felt my body had failed me, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I of course knew that people had you know, struggles falling pregnant. I just never expected it would be me. And look, you hear that sentence over and over again. No one ever expects it to be them. Um, but I, it wasn't for lack of trying to find somebody who had been through that same journey. But I couldn't. And so I kept it quiet until we fell pregnant. And then, you know, no one could stop me from talking about the fact that, you know, we had conceived our beautiful, you know, firstborn through IVF. Um, and, you know, we did have, um, I think also because I was a little bit naive, we had an, an early miscarriage very early on um, when trying to fall pregnant naturally. And I just thought, okay, well, that's a, a good sign. You know, that was, it was hard and it was a hardship, but it wasn't, I actually took it as a, oh, great, my body knows what it's doing. Okay, well, we'll just keep going. We'll try again. Um, little did I know that it would be a three-year journey to conceive and, Alfie was that um, baby, our firstborn. So like I said, textbook pregnancy, trouble-free or so to speak. Although looking back, I had a lot of um, warning signs, lots of red flags that would say that something's not quite right. But, you know, I'm a strong woman and people perceived me to be somebody who would just know when to stand up and know everything. I, um, you know, I had all the books. I had apps downloaded i i read i listened i sought out advice from friends family colleagues um, as well as you know care professionals healthcare professionals so i had a a yoga instructor that you know i went and did you know antenatal yoga i had a um, 
I went to hypnobirthing and did the courses to make sure I had a, the best possible birth. Um, I had a private obstetrician, midwife, as well as, um, you know, um, a, an acupuncturist, actually, <laughs> that I was trying to see to help with all the stuff. Like, I didn't, I didn't actually know what path was best for me or my baby. I didn't know whether it was best to go public or private or whatever. I just wanted to make sure I was fully prepared and I had a fabulous pregnancy getting to know my little girl and she, you know, the moment she tumbled about inside me and the moment I could feel that, I was super excited. She loved dancing around in there and she was a total mover and a shaker and she didn't, you know, stop moving. She was she was fun and fabulous and I really enjoyed that. Um, but her movements, you know, changed um, quite drastically over the course of a two-week period and then, um, you know, the rest is unfortunately history and I wish I had known now what I know now then um, because quite honestly you know our daughter would be here had I known that uh, but unfortunately um, I went into hospital after being asked that question you know is your baby moving and previously that question had always been yes for me um, I didn't really understand why they were asking that or what that was to mean but her movements had changed drastically over the course of two weeks like I'd said but um, when I was next asked that question, is your baby moving? The answer was actually no. And so I went into hospital and I um, delivered my perfect little girl who you know, had no illness, no abnormality. And I was in my 40th week of pregnancy and um, but there was a massive, massive difference. And you know, she was stillborn. I had no idea at the time that that's what I was experiencing. No one used the word stillbirth or told me that that's what it was gonna be like. I literally thought they were going to try and resuscitate her. I thought they would try and, um, you know, bring her back to life. You know, you see the movies, you know, this is a life, this is a human being. So wouldn't you want to try and make it live? But it was weird. It was, it was silent um, and there was nothing. And they didn't do anything and they didn't try and do anything. You know, my baby had died and, you know, for them it was just one of those things. But for me it was... The death of my child and a, a circumstance that I never wanted anyone to experience and so um, you know <laughs> then comes still aware later down the track but I suppose at that time I was totally um, unaware of what I was experiencing let alone you know delivering a baby but it was utterly utterly painful but not painful physically does that make sense like I was um, I was in agony in every way, my whole body was in agony. Yeah, I know you haven't spoken about it really in, in detail before and go into as much or little detail as you want, but how was the delivery? I mean, yeah, what sure. happens after you're told your your baby isn't, isn't alive? What happens? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. They don't even use those words, you know, baby's not alive, but you don't really even understand what's going on. It's, well, I didn't anyway. Um, the midwife, you know, I was, I was, so Brad, Brad, my husband, came with me to the hospital, thankfully. He wasn't going to. I was like, oh, don't worry, it's probably nothing. And then I said, actually, no, I really want you to be there. And, you know, being super organised and, you know, 40th week of pregnancy, I had the car seat in the, the car, I had my bag packed, Brad's bag packed, our baby's bag packed. So we just naively believed that we were going in to have a baby and this would be it. Um, you know, there had been situations prior where we were told this baby won't stay in for lots, much longer you're about to have this baby and that was had been going on for 
a couple of weeks, but no one checked anything. No one looked at anything. I never got a CTG. I never got an ultrasound in that latter part of pregnancy. But I did get another ultrasound when I was told that she had no heartbeat. Um, I didn't know they could do a bedside ultrasound at that time. I just remember um, you know, being in the hospital and then putting the Doppler on me. Now, I know now that a Doppler is kind of useless. Um, it literally just um, you know, takes a, a, a microphone of a heartbeat and that's it. So um, the heartbeat wasn't there. And that was very obvious that it was my heartbeat that they, I could hear on that. And I said, and she didn't kick it away. Why didn't she kick it away? I was very mm. like, this is super weird. It didn't feel natural. I was ushered to the back room, you know, the, not the back room, the, the, the last um, room in the maternity ward. And I just felt, you know, everyone was a little bit quieter than normal, you know, in this space. And she bought the bedside ultrasound. And um, that was the first time I think I realised that something wasn't, really wasn't right. Um, she put the ultrasound on me and, and um, Alfie, our daughter, was completely still. And she, like I described to you before, she moved constantly. So she wasn't ever still and perfect in this um, scenario on an ultrasound. And I think... Um, at that moment, I, I said to the midwife, well, I can't see her heartbeat. Why, why can't I see her heartbeat? And I think I probably asked it firmly and with confusion. And she just said, well, I'm sorry, no, there is no heartbeat. And I just sort of was very confused by what that sort of meant. And I said, you know, and she said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And those words were the, I suppose, that pivotal defining moment for me. And that's I still, and I, people have heard me say it before, for those who've heard me tell my story in, in more detail, that I don't have an adequate way to describe quite what that feels like. Um, it's everything. Like I was engulfed by every possible emotion, you know, rage, fear, um, calm, serenity, wanting to scream, wanting to be left alone, wanting to be hugged, don't touch me, everything at once, just all engulfing. It was this very strange um totally um uncomfortable experience and then I was like well what you know what now and I was um put in an um a wheelchair I have no idea why there was nothing wrong with me and I was like pushed out into this that's quite strange it was I think well you know you poor woman you're going to collapse you know clearly Mm. can't cope you poor pregnant woman I know that look I sound really cynical but I think that that's possibly where it comes from it's I was in you know Mm. shock yeah shock but it was like okay push her down the hall and go down to the radiology department and go have a scan I had to sit in a waiting room and you know wait to have a scan with I was looking around there's pregnant people everywhere and I was like what Mm. the f am I doing in here get Mm. me out of here so I was like oh and I thought I don't have to be in this chair like I was like standing up to get out of it and I I just like walked into this little room that I could see that was empty and sat in there. So I was like, I don't want to sit out there in the with all those people. They can see me and I'm pregnant, but my baby has no heartbeat. So what does that mean that my baby's died? Are they going to try and find a heartbeat now? What I don't understand. It was just, there was mm. nothing right about it, but yet it looked normal, you know, so I was still getting smiles like, oh, you know, she's so pregnant, you mm. know, sort of thing. It was really mm. uncomfortable. Um, and... Most people wouldn't know this, but my sister had a dream a few weeks prior to, to Alfie's birth that I had a little girl and that I called her Chop. 
<laughs> um, and she thought it was the most beautiful name in her dream. Obviously, when she woke up, she was like, that's a bit unusual, but okay, Claire. <laughs> so she told us this and we started calling, well, every, everybody else started calling um, our baby Chop. And I thought, that's cute. That's a little nickname for our little little baby. And Brad and I were the only ones who used to call her Alfie because we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but that was our nickname for our baby. Um, but the reason I'm saying that is I went into this ultrasound room and the sonographer, this was this bit was a bit insensitive, I think. I think because she was young, and I'm putting it down to age um, at that stage, or she had no idea what to do. She was uncomfortable herself. She started doing this routine ultrasound and it was really inappropriate. So she was like, oh, look, you know, there's her little mouth and, you know, there's her little legs. Oh, look, she's got 10 fingers and 10 toes. And I was like looking at Brad in this, like, what the, like, what is going on? And then she said, oh, you know, and there's this. And I thought, I don't know if she, and I said, I don't know if you know, but our, our baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And she's like, oh, you know, no, I know. And I thought, hmm. oh, I said, can you just stop? because it's really cruel. You're telling me how perfect everything is. And all I know is that you're just trying to find a heartbeat. Mm. And this is, you're diagnosing the fact that my baby's died. This is not, I don't, I just don't mm. want you to talk. Mm. And so I didn't mean to be nasty to her. I was worried about how I made her feel, but I was like, you just need to stop. It's making this feel awful. Very painful. Um, and she was just pointing out how perfect she was because she really was. And so um, from then, you know, she, diagnosed the fact that and then another um, senior um, sonographer came in and just looked at us again really you know token effort put it on my belly looked at the screen then looked at me and said no I'm sorry there is no heartbeat um, which is them saying your baby's died I don't know why they avoid the words because it's the fact is your baby has died and you know I would have liked to have really known what that meant so that I wouldn't have been hoping for them to revive her or try and breathe life into her do something to resuscitate her um, instead, I went back into the same room, you know, hopped back in the wheelchair. And I think on the way back, I was like, I don't, I don't want this wheelchair. I'll just walk back. This is ridiculous. <laughs> slowing the process Just get me down. in there as quick as I can. I yeah. don't want people to see me. Already I felt, I just felt like I was diseased. Yeah. It was a really strange feeling like um, something was wrong with me. Quick, just get me out of here. This is not right. You I know? know some women have said they feel ashamed. Mm. Did you feel um, that? Or? I don't know if it was shame. I just felt um, it was un it was really uncomfortable. Mm. You know, I, you know, it does. You know, I don't want to say that because I feel it wasn't shame. It also wasn't you know a feeling, of, but it was a little bit of a feeling of disgust. Um, you know, I had my baby had died and she was inside me, and we are uncomfortable with death. So what does that mean? Is you know, is there something wrong with her? Am I going to get sick? Because mm. no one was telling me anything. You know, they didn't know anything either. It was to them. It was. You know, a rarity was one of those things. Um, but, yeah, I felt it felt wrong in every way. And like I said, these emotions were just engulfing me and I had no, no way of knowing how I wanted to be. I just knew I was no way I was going to be able to tell anyone what was going on. Um, and I said to Brad, you need to call your, you need to call my parents, you need to call your parents. And I think that would have been the hardest call he's ever had to make. Um, he started talking and I think, you know, for those who know my husband, he's, you know, very kind and he also doesn't like confrontation and he's um, somewhat quiet, um, which makes sense because I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
he was talking on the phone like he was he was just trying you know he was being you know being oh hi how you going trying to get through to that point and I just was like oh so I just took the phone and I just said mum there's no heartbeat and I like burst into tears you need to come here and then I just sort of threw the phone away um and they you know described my my mum and dad at that time described just getting in the car and just you know racing as quick as they can back to Adelaide they were at High Marsh Island at the time um he rang his parents said virtually the same thing they live in Geelong so they literally got in the car I think <laughs> his dad packed I think it was like you know 13 pairs of socks and no t-shirts <laughs> you know so it was like chaotic for yeah. all of us it was like mm. what 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 and you know they they came here in record time in the car um but you asked you know what was the environment like what was it that was around us and I wanted all of my siblings there um, and his parents there and my parents there and I was very very lucky that um, I have um, well, there's five girls in my family so mm. the we were all there and my sisters were waiting outside the room and so when you say room were you given what happens after no that you're room? in a you're in a birthing suite right. you know so you you know you're in a birthing suite and you're told okay so and my I think it was my uh, dad, you know, he wanted just me to feel, you know, to he wanted to take away the pain, and he was in the. I asked him to come into the room, and mum um, and dad were there, and they started talking. You know, that whole you know father daughter mentality, and my husband obviously wanted to take care of me, and all of a sudden it was like I was like a non entity. That whole you know you're not going to probably cope with this, so let's just fix this for you type thing, and that whole unusual you know we don't know what's going on, and my obstetrician came in at the time and. Um, he, you know, was, we were talking about birthing options because you have to deliver a baby. You know, I was mm. in my 40th week of pregnancy. I was 40 weeks pregnant. Mm. You know, my daughter has to come out of me um, and I still had to go into that birthing space. And so I was like, okay, quick, get, you know, we need to move rooms. I need to get to the, I don't know what I was thinking. We need to get to the um, room with the bath and I've got my birthing plan. And, like, you know, and then I went, hang on. And Brad looked at me, I think it was, and just said, you know, do you really need all of that? And I said, oh, you know, I suppose not. And my obstetrician um, said, look, if it's okay with you, because I didn't want, I wanted a drug-free birth. Um, if it's okay with you, can we give you something for your shock and your pain just to take away some of this, you know, feeling that you're feeling right now? Um, and so I didn't really, I was like, you know, I think I was just sort of a given up. I was like, whatever. Just do whatever you want to me. It's fine. And that's a weird thing to say because I was so in control of me as a woman. But I was like, whatever, just do whatever. Um, and so my dad and um, my husband Brad were saying, look, I think she should have a cesarean. Mm. <laughs> and I think then that's when I went, well, why? Why do I need to have a cesarean? And thankfully my obstetrician at that time, he said, look, I have no reason to think why Claire couldn't deliver naturally. Um, and in fact, you know, for future pregnancies and deliveries, it might be better for her to deliver naturally. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll deliver naturally. Of course I'm going to deliver naturally. There was no question about that for me. It was just the fact that I didn't need this like sort of Zen <laughs> birth. Mm. Um, and so I was like, just put whatever drugs you want into me. I think in hindsight, I wish I didn't do that because um, I was so out of it um, and so... It was already an out-of-body experience. 
And so, I, yeah, anyway, I had to deliver her. And my obstetrician was holding my feet at the time. And he said, don't worry, this won't happen again. Mm. And I hadn't even delivered her. I thought that was super weird. And at the mm. time I was like, and these are the things you um, remember later on. Like, you know, I was like, well, that's a weird thing to say. And he talked about the fact that um, he'd never had somebody go this far and have a stillbirth, but he's had other women who've had stillbirths and, you know, don't worry. And I still don't really know why he told me this story whilst I was laying on the bed waiting for my stillborn child to be born and in labour. He held, you know, held my feet and I think he's trying to connect or something anyway and he just said, um, you know, and she's gone on to have another another baby, so don't worry, this won't happen again. <clears throat> and I was like... Okay, right. Okay, cool. Like, and I just so thought this is before it had before I'd even really delivered. Happened. Yeah, you know exactly. Right. It was super weird, and I look back now and I think that wasn't great mm. to say that. I know you were just trying to help to say, you know what, you can go on to have more children, but I'm about to have a baby, and this is my child. Mm-hmm. That concludes part one of our chat with Claire. Stay tuned for part two of Claire's story where she speaks in more depth about her delivery of Alfie and how she navigated life after stillbirth. See you then. Thanks for joining us today and we look forward to you joining us again next time. Remember, it's never too early to have a conversation, but it really can be too late. If you'd like to know more about Still Aware, the charity that's bringing you this series, head to stillaware.org.